and welcome to another episode of the Diz Explorers podcast, where each week we explore the different avenues of the great Disney universe. This week is extra special. It is our 60th episode, which, which I feel like I'm making a bigger deal about than I did our 50th, because I think I forgot it was our 50th when we recorded it. So now, <laughs> now that I'm back to numbering stuff in the right order, <laughs> this is the big 6-0, and the second awesome part of this is we finally have our first guest on and our first Woo! guest is none other, none other than rick webster uh on twitter you may know him as captain nemo 86 so we've been trying to get rick on for a little while because we wanted originally to have him come on and speak uh kind of co-host with jessica on touring uh, disneyland park for a day and when we were scheduling him for to do that it just happened to be in while well, the D23 Expo was going on, and he mentioned to me that, hey, I'm going to this thing for three days. And I kind of jokingly said to him, I was like, oh, great, take notes, and we'll have you on on Monday. And he was like, <laughs> and he was like, yeah, I can totally do that. And I was like, well, alrighty then, then, that, then that's what we're doing. So, <laughs> and here we are. So, Rick, we'd like to welcome you to the Diz Explorers podcast. Thank you for being our first guest, and, and extra special thank you for... Uh, not telling me where to go and how to get there when I asked you about taking notes and coming on our podcast to, <laughs> to, to talk about this crazy-ass expo that they do every every two years. For people who don't know, the D23 Expo is something they've been doing for, I don't know, I don't know how long, but they do it every other year out in Anaheim, and it seems Since to be... Since 2009. 2009, there you go. And I know they do do small fan events all over the country in different cities here, there, and in between, and this is the big one and and this year uh, the one that happened two years ago the major announcements were the star wars and the pandora expansions which we know have pandora is online star wars is in the midst of being online so this year's huge news was the parks and resorts panels i believe get is what people are most interested about because especially this year with all the epcot news and more star wars and toy story stuff being confirmed so that was what everybody was was wanting to hear about i'm just going to turn it over to rick and let him uh talk about kind of whichever ones he feels were, were the most interesting and so i know the parks and resorts is up there but there was some news about movies and and what's coming out i believe both in animation and in live action so we'll touch on as much as as we can before we all have dry mouth <laughs> from, from talking too much so Rick, I'm just going to turn it over to you. Let us have it. <laughs> well, thank you guys again very much for inviting me. It's a, really an honor to to be here with you guys. And as I said earlier, uh, uh, happy birthday to our wonderful Disneyland, uh, 62 years old today. Uh, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was, for me, this was my second expo. I'm a lifelong Disney fan. My mom had me at Disneyland when she was eight months pregnant with me. So she says, I love Disney because I was listening through the wall and uh, said, oh, I like what's going on out there. So <laughs> <laughs> the uh, this expo was wonderful. Um, one thing I wish they would do is focus more on the movement of people, the lines and everything. But I do have to say the panels and things, uh, especially because I attended the majority of the panels in, in the archive stages and a couple in stage 28 and the expo hall, the panels and presentations were fantastic. 
the guests that were there were amazing and fantastic uh, pieces of Disney history. Uh, you know, legends, Disney legends. I ran into Floyd Norman just, uh, you know, go walking down a hall and, and there he stood. Wow. Uh, I'm going to fangirl on that one. I've talked <laughs> to him before. I've gotten to interview him. He is amazing. He is the most, he is a gentle, not just a gentleman, but he is a gentleman, a humble man. I, I, yeah. I got to talk with him at a, um, when they were l getting the documentary and animated life ready. Right. There an honor for him. You probably heard about it. It was like a May, one May ago or something, May of 2016. He just was so personable. He's a treasure, truly a Disney treasure. Absolutely. As RJ said earlier, so it's three days of various panels and, and then there's a huge, huge, huge show floor downstairs where they have different live events and they have, uh, you know, just a bunch of exhibits that you can look at. But my favorite, because I love the history, is going to these amazing panels. So I'd mentioned to you guys earlier, I, I went to the uh, the product panel, which uh, I went in looking for the history, the Mickey Mouse watches and the Lionel trains and those types of things to hear about them. And then they also talked about the newer product that they're releasing and clothing lines and all that stuff, which was all very interesting. They also talked about the new face of the Disney stores that will be coming out. They're launching the first one, I believe this weekend, out in Northridge, California, which was actually the store where I, um, when I was a Disney store cast member, that's where I was uh, interviewed at that same store. And I'm happy to say that they're bringing back um, a new Disney store, I understand, to the Century City Mall in Los Angeles, which is the store that I originally worked at for the Disney company. Cool. The first main panel that I went to was one that was called Walking with Giants, uh, a virtual visit to Walt Disney's Hyperion Studio. And you guys know, I'm sure, the history and, and about the Hyperion Studio and how now that sacred ground where, uh, where they developed Snow White is uh, now the, <laughs> the location of a Gelson store and shopping center. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And fortunately, some of the buildings that were on the Hyperion site, specifically the bungalow, got moved over to the studio. So that building remains uh, used today as like a uh, conference room. There's, just as a side note, there's a lot of amazing sites right in that immediate area, Los Files and Burbank and Glendale area, that you can see if you go on the, uh, the Bob Gurr History Trail bus tour which I did last October. Jess, have you ever done that one? No, but I'd like to. It sounds awesome. It was really amazing, and it's a six-hour tour with Bob Gurr himself. You actually walk to all these different locations. Uh, they get the bus as close as possible, and then Bob talks to you about it, and uh, including the D23 headquarters. And if you're there early enough, they get you onto the lot, at least the front part of the lot, to look around and examine the... Uh, the executive building with the seven dwarves holding up the roof. That's a really interesting tour for anybody if you get a chance to do it, uh, including Walt's barn out in Los Feliz. So what was amazing about this panel was the fact it was just the one gentleman, Hans Perk, who's actually a, um, I believe a Norwegian or uh, maybe he's from Denmark. He's an animator, he had his own studio he talked about the Hyperion Studios that existed from 1926 to 1940. And what he did, amazingly, was he took 
a series of photos. There weren't a ton of them, but original photos with Disney employees sitting at the desks and throughout the Hyperion. And he created a CGI Hyperion. Wow. So it, it was really cool because you'd see uh, his CGI of, like, let's say the entrance to the studios, and then it would morph into the uh, some original footage of the employees leaving at the end of the day. So the way he did it was just really uh, brilliantly done. Wow, that's nuts, man. <laughs> that's nuts how they can do that stuff. Pretty amazing. I mean, literally walking you through the entire facility. It was it was fantastic. And then he was tying stories into it about uh, the Hyperion and and showing you where the Alice comedies were filmed on this makeshift stage in the back and and just the stories that that man was able to tell were were wonderful. The only downfall to it was that he was a little on the dry side and you're in a dark room and. <laughs> There was a, a little bit of an, an issue with that, but overall, <laughs> just a fantastic presentation. <laughs> the next one uh, that we went to that day was one of the biggies, which was the Pirates of the Caribbean 50 Years of Swashbuckling Adventures in Disney Park. Nice. Oh, yeah. And that was Marty Scalar, Tony Baxter, Kim Irvine, who you know is the daughter of Leota Toombs and yep. the daughter in law of Richard Irvine. And then also Orlando Ferrante, who is a Disney legend and a former ex Imagineering executive. And then uh, two other uh, executives uh, from WDI, Nancy Ceruto and Luke Mayrand. And they just did this fantastic panel. I'm sorry I don't remember his name, but there's a gentleman who is uh, works hand-in-hand -hand with Jerry Bruckheimer. He was the lead on the panel, and he was asking all the questions. And... This was just phenomenal, hearing all these legends talk about their experiences um, of uh, working with Walt and working uh, working with Mark Davis. They showed a bunch of these fantastic old photographs. Some of them are ones that we've probably all seen. Others were ones that we have not seen. One of the other, uh, you know, they talked about, I loved hearing Tony Baxter talk about the experience of when they were building Pirates of the Caribbean in uh, what's now called Disneyland Paris. My wife and I and Ninth Rook from uh, the Who Knew podcast, we've known him for years, we were at the grand opening of Euro Disney in 1992. Wow. And even at that time, their pirates compared to ours, they were so advanced technology-wise that it was amazing. But to hear Tony Baxter talking about why they switched things around, decided to do the skeletons at the end as, as opposed to in the beginning like ours, and just all these different little uh, discussions. And apparently they already do have in place, they were the first ones to implement the AA figures where they're actually sword fighting against each other. Oh, right, right, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. So just that whole panel was absolutely wonderful hearing them talk about their experiences working with Pirates of the Caribbean. As you guys know, with the uh, with the changes uh, coming to uh, Pirates as far as taking away, take a wench for a bride and bringing on some women Pirates, what was really interesting to hear and see was that Mark Davis had originally talked about and drawn various sketches of women pirates in Pirates of the Caribbean. 
in fact, uh, one of the scenes that he had drawn, and I'll get into that a little more later, but one of the scenes that he had drawn, for those of you familiar with our pirates here in California, you come around after the second drop and there's the three pirates uh, on the beach. There, his original sketch and concept art had uh, two female pirates in that scene. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I'll, and I'll share all this stuff with you guys, you know, if you, whatever you want to do with it, post it or whatever. Okay, yeah, cool. The Pirates uh, presentation was excellent, as was the uh, archives exhibit that I was talking to you earlier, RJ. Yep. Pirates exhibit was phenomenal. I didn't ever actively think about how many different, how many times Pirates showed up throughout Disney history. And it was an amazing amalgam of all of the different, everything from Mickey Mouse and the Silly Symphony King Neptune, all the way through having, uh, you know, all the way through Pirates of the Caribbean, the most recent release, but everything in between, you know, and they had a, a bunch of the different old artwork. They had some of the old AAs, like the original dog sitting with the keys in his mouth, but they had the entire AA there so that you could actually see how it functions. Wow. It wasn't moving, but you could see the uh, the machinery. Right, right, right. I think I sent you, RJ, the picture uh, of the pirate that used to be up on top of the uh, one of the overcrossings over one of the bridges. Yes. Yep. The original. And for those of you guys who remember those incredible coins that we... Um, I know they had them in Disney World as well. Uh, Retro Disney World did a podcast about this. Yep. And they had the machines there, uh, one machine there, and samples of the coins that you could look at. Oh, really? Yeah. Those things were cool. I really wish I'd gotten those when I was a kid. <laughs> I'm in the midst of uh, cleaning out my garage, and I'm going through and finding all my old Disney stuff. A couple of weeks ago, I found a 1957 Tom Sawyer's Island map. Oh, wow. <gasps> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I found my sister and brother's old uh, phonograph albums of Davy Crockett, uh, King of the Wild Frontier, and the Mouseketeers album. Nice. Uh, yeah, I, I have just... some of those. <laughs> One other super quick story. I, I came across an old, old, old card from the 50s that was a Christmas card from your, your newspaper boy back in the day when the newspaper boy would give every person he delivered to a little Christmas card. You open it up, it says something like, uh, Happy Holidays from your paper boy. It's signed Kevin Corcoran. I looked it up, and I was born and raised in Santa Monica. And Kevin Corcoran from Toby Tyler Moochie. Okay. He, he was born in Santa Monica, California, and I want to say around 49. So, And I actually did ask somebody in the archives at D23, and they directed me where to go and check it out. But it's possible that Moochie was my mom and dad's paper boy in the 50s. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what you're going to find. <laughs> no, that's, that's for sure. Jumping forward, outside of D23, they had some really great vehicles. They had a, uh, well, they had Cinderella's car carriage and they had the um, sand, what is it, sand speeder? Oh, that, from Star you know Wars? Yes, from Star Wars. Yeah, the speeder bikes, yeah. Yes, they had that. They had Mater out front. They had Lola from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, an old T-Bird. And they had uh, the Ghost Riders. Cha I think it's a Challenger. Uh, cha yeah, I believe okay. so. 
Let's see. Okay, so the next panel after that was on Saturday morning. Probably one of my favorites was Mark Davis Goes to Wed. And this panel was run by Pete Doctor and Chris Merritt. Oh, wow. I mean, we just were... It's like the, it's A-team after A-team of panelists, man. <laughs> that's exactly it. They talked about Mark Davis... They showed different clips of interviews uh, with him, and they showed a ton of different photographs that had, they said had never been shown to anybody before. They are in the process of compiling a book. As you probably know, Chris Merritt has done a couple of different books like Knots Preserved and Pacific Ocean Park, which was a park out here in the 50s, well, 40s to 60s in, uh, in Los Angeles. They're in the process of creating a new book between the two of them, so that's an amazing book. They had some photos up of like uh, the Mark Twain in dock when there wasn't a dock there yet and it's just dirt. The castle uh, uh, when it was still just a, a series of, from the top up it was developed but from the bottom down there were parts of it that were still just uh, wood and, and framing. Wow. Um, wow. I'll share that with you. They talked about all the different vignettes and and ideas that, that Mark Davis had come up with for the Jungle Cruise and how some of them got dropped because, like, there's one scene where he wanted to have a, basically, a parrot at the top of the plant and a number of alligators around the plant trying to get to the bird, but they felt that it was too reminiscent of the na native uprising, so they left it out. There was supposed to be a, an area with elephant bones and stuff, and he even wanted to include a man-eating plant. <laughs> okay. And there's they they have the sketch <clears throat> sketches he made, and in fact they showed us the model, you know, picture of the model, and you can see where they actually in the in the working model they implemented the man-eating plant. They talked about an area where he had originally wanted to put a series of these giant frogs. And I guess something happened with the frogs and they took them out. But if you go on the Jungle Cruise in Walt Disney World, he's not sure if it's still there or not. But for the longest time, you, stirred, you still heard all these uh, frogs croaking, but there was nothing, there was no visual to go with the audio. Huh. So really, really great stuff. Old WDI pictures, you know, Walt sitting down and, and looking at these sketches and and even Walt uh, right smack down in the middle of the model for It's a Small World to get an idea of what, what it would be like once you were on the attraction. So that pretty much... Oh, okay. One of the other interesting things I found in this panel was they were talking about the Tiki Room, which is one of my favorites. Yep. And they showed some old, old photos of Raleigh Crump, who you know created the... Uh, the tiki's and the you know he did the sculpting yeah so there's an old picture of him out back you know sculpting uh what's it's maui the the god of time here mm -hmm. in our show they were talking about how originally the you know the uh the figurines the, the aas across the top of the room that are banging the drums yes originally those were mark davis sculpted the, or drew those as monkeys but by the time they got to Raleigh Crump, he stylized them, took the tail off the monkeys and put them more in a seated position. And that's what you see today is Raleigh Crump's variation of Mark Davis's original sketchings. 
which is much better if you ask me. <laughs> Completely agree. For Haunted Mansion fans also like me, a big thing they talked about that was absolutely fascinating, they were talking about when uh, Mark Davis was working on the Tiki Room, and there are some pictures of him working on some of those gods that go along the top uh, of the room. And Chris Merritt said, but when we were looking at the pictures, there was something in the background on this one picture. So in Photoshop, they enlarged it and tried to enhance it as much as possible. It's a figure of a ghost in the background. They figured out that it is actually a ghost. It's kind of like our uh, Hatbox ghost situation out here. Some, they had developed uh, sketches for a, a ghost that would go around and add squeaks to the haunted mansion doors. Huh, really? Yeah. So she was built, and you see her in the background of this photo, you know, with Mark Davis in the photo, but they never actually put her in. So the big question on everybody's mind was, well, are we going to be looking at you know, a hatbox ghost situation where now that they've discovered it, are they going to put her in? So who knows? But, you know, that's where they announced that that's what they found. Then they talked more about uh, Mark Davis and his work on pirates. And what I was mentioning to RJ earlier is, well, to all of you, there are actually women that he had uh, integrated into some of his original sketches that he wanted to include I'm trying to find the names of them. I'm not finding them at the moment, but there were, uh, let's see, is that it? Mary Reed and Alice, I can't, uh, Alice Bonnie. Were okay. Two, you're familiar with the names, RJ? Well, uh, Bonnie was, there, there was an actual female pirate. It was, I believe it was Anne Bonnie. But so if they were doing an off, uh, a take on that, then that's pretty cool. That's, you know, it's, it's somewhat historically correct, which I know the ride is not, but. At least it's a similar last name. Uh, Mary Reed sounds familiar to me also. I don't know if maybe because I've heard it before to what you're referring to. or She was another female pirate. Yeah, I thought so too, yeah. There was quite a few, honestly. Yeah, and and the, the particular uh, sketch that I'm looking at right now, it looks like it's a pencil and ink sketch, has them on uh, sitting on the beach all surrounding a, a treasure chest. And the, the gag is, and as we all know with Mark Davis, he was able to convey the whole scene with just one, one image. You don't question, you know, where, what, you know, how does this scene work out? So you see all these pirates sitting around with one doubloon or one piece of jewelry while the two female pirates are holding gobs and gobs and handfuls of, of you know, the booty that they collected. So just seeing these sketches was fantastic. But what was interesting, as I mentioned earlier, you know, the beach scene uh, for us that has the three uh, pirate skeletons originally did include, according to his uh, his sketch, the two uh, the two female pirates. Wow. Um, they showed uh, some of the life renderings where they actually had a live person recreating Lafitte on the uh, on the pirate ship. They've got uh, some pictures of the uh, when they were actually working on the take a wench for a bride scene where it's not complete yet, but they're working on the discs that used to control the movement of the AAs. So really, really interesting stuff. And in fact, this scene, they told us that you could tell that Pirates was not quite ready to, to launch yet because while all the human AAs were done, all the animals were just cardboard cutouts, just placeholders. 
So that was kind of fun to see. And then there's a series of photographs. They had mocked up the boat ride itself out in, uh, I guess, in the Burbank lot. And these are actually pictures of uh, Walt Disney, Mark Davis, Claude Coates, and some of the other guys, Richard Irvine, actually riding the boats and going down the flume. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of the stuff they were showing us was, you know, amazing to see. Yeah, I bet. They kind of closed with talking about this. Uh, oh, well, no, there's two things. They talked about they were going to do a chicken farm idea that sounds to me very similar to what we had in at Knott's Berry Farm, which was Sam and Sadie's Haunted Shack, if anybody remembers that. And you would be going to visit. This was going to be in Fort Wilderness. It's called the Fort Wilderness Funhouse concept from 1976. And a man and his wife supposedly were the owners of this chicken farm and they had passed away but as you would go through it it was all the elements of those um you know the spot and uh those crazy mystery locations that you see across the country mm -hmm. so but that was they proposed it in 76 but it never uh it never actually went any further but it had some really interesting concepts in it and then uh, on that, they also talked about with Mark Davis coming up with a whole new idea for our uh, primeval, primeval world of the, of the dinosaurs and also the Grand Canyon. He wanted to change it into a Kachina type of experience, if you will. But the, the music that he proposed for it, they actually ended up using in Primeval World, Realm of the Dinosaurs. But to see these different sketches and some other things that he proposed was just fascinating. One of the ones that I loved, and I'll share this with you guys, uh, is the uh, how Mark Davis would think through any given scene. He would try to think of a number of different ways to present it. So they showed the whole series of the girl on a wire, Parasol Girl. Mm -hmm. It started with a woman standing on a chair and then he changed it to her standing on a fountain. And then they changed it to her standing over an upside down fountain. And so over the series of six different panels, he finally came up with the final concept, which was her standing on the wire with a parasol with the gator underneath her. Wow. Yeah, to see the progression of that stuff is pretty cool. Yes, absolutely. So uh, more of this stuff I'll just, uh, you know, I'll share with you guys in terms of the images but just some of this artwork and the concepts were fantastic. After that, I saw The Hidden Art of Disney, a behind-the-scenes look at They Drew As They Please. That's a book series by, if you're familiar with Dieter Getz, or Gez, G-H-E-Z. He's a, an author and a historian. He's developing a six-book series, and I think he's done the first two and working on the third one. But he had actually found some really amazing stuff. I believe he actually went to uh, Alice Davis's house and looked through all these different, you know, all through the rooms of her house and looked in trunks and looked in, you know, in boxes and everything and found this amazing artwork. And a lot of that is what's going to uh, come out in this book. Nice. The next one was, um, this one was, was really sweet. Walt. Kay and Marceline, a very big small town story, and they basically traced Walt Disney's love of the town of Marceline and talked about how he'd come to the opening of the pool and he had, 
you know, how he wanted the Midgetopia to be sent there and set up, and how his, how the Disney family had a lifelong relationship with the Malins family in Marceline. Kay Malins is now the executive director of the Walt Disney Hometown Museum, and she's responsible for really getting this thing up and going, and and uh, she's just an amazing person, and she got emotional a few times, and but to hear the stories coming out of her about her experiences with the Disney family, and you guys probably heard the one about when Walt was going to go back for the dedication, you know, well, we don't have a hotel that has air conditioning, and we don't have any nice place for him to stay, so right. Walt, they stayed with the Malins family, and all these other families let them borrow furniture because they had a new house but old furniture. So it was really, <laughs> really, really sweet. Next was one that was called Disney and Pixar Did That, Advertisements and Animated Commercials. And they were basically talking about all these different commercials over the years and how Disney is linked to them, like Post Toasties and Jell-O, the whole thing of, you're familiar with, a Smokey the Bear. Yeah. Originally, there was they were using Bambi and... and I guess it lasted for a year, and then they had to use Smokey the Bear after that. But it was really great to see how many different things Disney did that were related directly to the advertisements and commercials. And when they talked about the part where Disney used to make some of these crests uh, for the military, yeah, surprised to see that they actually made one for the Nautilus submarine that is an atom around a... Uh, what looks like the Nautilus from 20,000 Leagues that kind of also looks like a shark because it has uh, an eye where the the big windows are and then a row of teeth below. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I think so, I've seen that somewhere. Seen that one? I'd never seen that one before. Because it sounds, what you're describing, it sounds familiar. Like I know I, I know the stuff they did with the military with Donald Duck and, and the films they made and I have that DVD set, the treasury mm-hmm. set that has all that stuff on it and all that. I I, th- I vaguely remember hearing or seeing something about that symbol you just described, and and the they, Bam- and the Bambi thing as well too. I do. I've never seen them, but I do remember hearing somewhere about that with Bambi having something to do with like the forest forest fire thing and PSA type advertisements. That's exactly right, and then. There's some that we're all familiar with, like Peter Pan peanut butter and uh, Donald Duck orange juice and those. Yes. <laughs> it was great to see all these things. And I was amazed at how many different car automobile ads that they were involved with, with like the Hudson Hornet. You know, I'm, I'm also a big fan of the movie Cars. So uh, and then there was huh. a very of Jose. Uh, no, it wasn't Jose. It was well one of the three Caballeros that. They actually, I believe, they started as a different character and then evolved into into the Caballero's character, or maybe it was the opposite way. But they also talked about new characters that they developed just that were not Disney to begin with. They developed these brand new characters that like Bucky Beaver and stuff like that. And then they got into that was all Disney. And then they got into Pixar, like the um, drink box and Trident and gummy lifesavers commercials okay. so all of that stuff let's say and then that evening ended with a kiss good night which is actually a book that richard sherman and floyd norman are developing after that towards the end of the panel because it was richard sherman floyd norman and adrian brown norman 
Floyd's wife. Then Juliana Hansen came out and actually sang with Richard Sherman. They did Feed the Birds, A Kiss Goodnight, and Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Wow. Wow. That's pretty cool. And you said that, that and you said that perfectly, Rick. Because <laughs> I know I can't. <laughs> well, thank you for that. <laughs> and then RJ told you earlier about the, the Pirates exhibit was fantastic. Of course um, it was. Traced it all the way. <laughs> I'm getting down to my next piece here. Oh, there was a great panel called Firing Women of Imagineering, which was eight current day Imagineers and how they got there. And it was really, they were very, I see why they called it Inspiring Women, because they talked about how they got there from uh, all different, they came from all different directions. Uh, one woman literally, the business she worked for was across the street. They were closing down and moving to Texas. She crossed the street over to WED, and, well, WDI, and uh, she got a job in accounting and worked her way up from accounting to become an Imagineer and, and a show producer. Wow. Really good stuff with that. The next one was uh, Magic in the Details, how Disney historical collections continue to inspire. And that one was really interesting because they showed how Disney, the archivists, had to pull all of the stuff together for things like the making of Saving Mr. Banks. Where did all this information come from? Where did all the, you know... How did they make sure that it, everything was accurate? The archives were a big, big, big help on, on doing all of that stuff. So that one was a fun one to, to watch, especially when they talked about, and this will play better when I send you pictures, but when they talk about the digit, uh, digitization process, what was absolutely fascinating to watch is they've taken the original pencil sketches that were later um, turned into the actual uh, cells and painted and everything. Mm -hmm. But they went back and they're digitizing every single line art drawing and then sequencing them so you can see how the animator originally intended it to look. How much weight did he give to each line? How did they make the subtle movements and, and everything? And they, they actually played some of them for us. So it was really fun to see how it's an amazing process. It's painstaking because they're literally going frame by frame to ensure that these are accurately scanned and rendered. Wow, but, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed that. And what they would do is show us a segment and then they'd show a little segment of what the completed, you know, what the what we actually saw in Robin Hood but then you'd see the scene in just the pencil line drawings. It was Listening to you explain that and, and that they had a panel on it, I think is fantastic because I think Disney fans young and old of the movies or anything need to understand and how that process works and how that's how f the films were made. And it makes me even sadder hearing that, that they don't do any of that at MGM anymore, which I know that that part of the part, and I know I'm getting off the topic, but it just... It sucks because when they had all that and they used to have the animation tour with Walter Cronkite and Robin Williams and the little film they did showing how they animated and how they did the storyboards to the sound effects to the voice characterizations and everything else, I don't understand how they couldn't have brought it up to speed to the digital world like you were just explaining, Rick, and have that as an exhibit instead of... I mean, the launch bay is great and all, and I love Star Wars, but 
I a hundred times would have rather watched and seen that. And I, that's probably because I'm in the vast minority, and that's probably why there's a launch bay there and not still where you can go draw Disney characters. But it just blows my mind that you can only see something like that at a special event that mm. not a lot of people go to get and, and see. Because, you know, I, I don't know. It's just That's just so fascinating to me. And I just... You got to know the history of it to appreciate what they're doing today. So no better way to do it than show, like how Robin Hood was drawn in the 70s to now they're taking these original drawings and they're painstakingly, as you said, frame by frame, because that's how they drew them, digitizing them so they can show you the same talent of the artists back then. So I don't know. <laughs> that's just my take on it. And they, they brought out the big guns for this one because they had the manager of research at the Animation Research Library, the director of music publishing and Disney concerts. That was a whole other thing that went into a whole other area of music I won't even go into right now. But yeah, yeah, um, yeah. a lead archivist and curator for the WD archives. And then this, uh, this girl was just brilliant uh, on the digitization process. And what they were saying is they want to show the animators nowadays who are like at Pixar and Walt Disney um, Animation who are doing all of this CGI, they want to show them, look at how the original animators did this by hand and you squash and stretch on all these characters and how much, when they drew a line, it was done for a specific reason and they're, they want to use it as a teaching tool. I really, I wish... Like you just said, I really wish they would put this somewhere where people could have access to seeing it because it was an amazing panel to watch. The next one that was really, really awesome, guys, was Sleeping Beauty Castle Walkthrough, celebrating 60 years of Walt Disney's most charming tableau. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> was that the Duchess I heard? <laughs> yep. Yes, <laughs> lucky guess. <laughs> and, and guess who presented this one? Tony Baxter and Chris Merritt. Wow. Oh my God. You may know that the most recent, its it's been redone a couple of different times. The update before the current one, they turned them mainly into like, kind of like Barbie doll type characters, if, you're, if you recall that, Jess. Yeah. But Chris Merritt was responsible for creating the new version and they were trying to go back as much as possible to the original really? so yes and there were things in there that i'd never heard of and in fact they started off by showing us uh more of those photos i was telling you about like the castle being built and you know on the fantasy land side there's a um like a little terrace out there that yes. used to be part of it that you could actually walk out on the terrace from the castle. What? Um, yes. Are you joking? <laughs> really? I swear to God. And why wasn't I around then? <laughs> wow. Why, why? Okay, <laughs> new bucket list item. Write yeah, that right? down. Guys, <laughs> let me tell you. And so, as you know, they uh, Ivan Durrell worked on Sleeping Beauty. Just his art is absolutely incredible. And they wanted him to do the layouts and the backgrounds and everything for the castle. And because it was contemporaneous and originally it wasn't being developed as Sleeping Beauty Castle. It was just the castle. 
and Walt's the one that said, well, let's tie in the castle to the movie that's coming out. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that, that one was a little bit of a shocker, too. Yeah. Hmm. So there's some beautiful pictures of Walt standing with all of this incredible Ivan Earl uh, artwork behind him. And they, they showed quite a bit of it. And, uh, you know, him, Walt talking with Mark Davis and uh, Ivan Earl and these, uh, you know, having meetings about it. And they also did schematics, which, I'll, you know, you guys will see with the actual walkthrough and the scenes that were in them. When they show you guys the incredible force perspective that think about this when this thing was originally developed like 1950 right around 1957 the walkthrough the incredible forced perspective they had to put on these little models so you're standing in the castle looking into a window and it's maybe a pie-shaped wedge that goes back four feet but you need to make people think that they're looking across you know across the entire castle or right right yeah just amazing how they were able to do all this you know without computers to tell the tell them the ratios to do this yeah. just fascinating <laughs> let's see what's his name uh, bob gerd developed something that he called the pixie wheel which was built for flora fauna and merryweather to kind of fly around above aurora's cradle and they actually showed you the mechanics behind that and behind the Ra Maleficent's Raven. I don't remember his name at the moment. Diablo. Yes, that's right. Thank you. So looking at all this stuff. And so there was this one point where you would walk out onto this like terrace area of the castle outside. And it was supposed to be as if you were looking down at the courtyard with all the people falling asleep. Okay. <gasps> yeah. Wow. Absolutely amazing. Oh, man. This was funny, guys. Okay. For those of you familiar, there's one part when you're walking through the hall where uh, upstairs in the castle where you hear the sounds of uh, the goblins walking back and forth and then they pop up and scare you. So what they had originally developed was these goblins that would be, you would look through the keyhole in these giant doors, but what they had set up was there was like a maquette of a goblin but right in the middle where the eyes would be was a mirror so when your eye was looking through the keyhole it would reflect back on you your own eye and when you would blink it would blink <laughs> holy crap yes <laughs> freaky looking let me tell you so they uh they took a picture of this uh of the maquette and brought it up to uh, Harriet Burns, and she goes, oh yeah, I remember working on that and painting it. So just fascinating, guys, the way they did all of this and, and the way they reestablished it and the way they were able to now, uh, you know, when Chris Merritt redid this a couple of years ago, how they were able to rematch the original colors that Ivan Earl used. And that, quite honestly, that was also fascinating because I'm trying to remember if it was in this in this presentation or in the other one, Magic is in the Details. They showed how they archive a piece of artwork and the incredible painstaking they go through to photograph a piece 
and to set the lighting just exactly right. And they actually use a camera that would equate to what Ansel Adams would have used when taking his, uh, you know, like a, what is it, a, a five by seven, one of the old, old style cameras. The way they do this process is absolutely amazing. And they need to make sure that they match up all the colors so that if somebody is looking at this piece of artwork, that the colors match the original. You know, and, and maybe just because I'm a geek, I don't know, but I, I love these technology things. That's unbelievable. Yeah, really, really amazing. Then we moved into a fun one. that There's only two left, and then that's the end of the D23 that flew by, three days flew by in a, in a wink. <clears throat> they had a really fun one called Pop Disney Six Degrees of Separation. Are you guys all familiar with the whole idea of six degrees of separation? Yeah. Okay. So think of it as kind of like a Disney version in a way of a pop-up video. Okay. And <laughs> these two guys. Now, one of the one of the great parts of this was announcing the two presenters was Bill Rogers, the voice of Disneyland. Okay. So starts with Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, please welcome to the archive stage, Justin Arthur and Brett or Iwan. So, I mean, it's the iconic voice that we all recognize. So these two guys get up there and they were a hoot because they were bantering back and forth. But what they basically did was they started with talking about Indiana Jones. Okay, where did the idea for Indiana Jones come from? And they looked back at an old uncle scrooge comic book where uncle scrooge donald and the nephews have to go down into this uh, creepy uh cavern and they're trying to get this idol down in the bottom you know of this cavern but in the meantime the beagle boys get down there and they steal it you guys remember the beagle boys yes sir okay so <laughs> what it shows is as they are trying to escape from this from this cavern as soon as they pulled this uh this idol off the top of its stand its pillar all of a sudden the entire temple starts to shake and quake starts to come down around them and as they're running down this this corridor what comes after them but a giant boulder rolling oh, wow. out <laughs> so they're showing these frames uh of the comic book and then they played that exact scene from Indiana Jones. And it was so funny because the comic book and the scene in Indiana Jones both end with them being captured by the natives. So they go from there, and I, I wish I could tell you all of the different pathways they took to get through the characters, but they said, okay, he was in this movie, and so, well, you know, he was also in Star Wars. In Star Wars was also this person, and they also played in this. So it was one of those, you know, kind of like six degrees of separation. Right. Awesome. Here's something I had no idea about. Maybe you guys know. Do you remember the scene in Star Wars where C-3PO is walking across, is it the desert in Tatooine? Yeah. Mm, yep. Okay. You remember that dinosaur laying in the sand behind him? Yeah. Okay. Does anybody remove, remember a movie called One of Our Dinosaurs is Missing? No. No, that I don't. <laughs> Never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Peter uh, Peter Ustinov was in that movie, and it was literally about a dinosaur that was stolen from a museum. I remember it as a kid. I loved that movie, and so it was called One of Our Dinosaurs Is Missing. It just so happened that they filmed that movie, One of Our Dinosaurs, in the same exact London studios where they were filming Star Wars. Oh. So they pulled this dinosaur from that, and it showed up in Star Wars. Oh, funny. So they, <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And then they talked through a bunch of th- different things. Like from there, they said, well, you know, Peter Ustinoff was also Blackbeard, and, and then, but his voice was also in something else. Yeah. Right. And then they said, you know, and he was in. So then they, they linked it to Paul McCartney. And then they linked Paul McCartney to John Lennon. And they said, and John Lennon, how does John Lennon link to Walt Disney World? Well, he was staying at the Poly. Right. When he signed works to break up the Beatles. Yep. So just imagine this all the way through, including like Pee Wee Herman, Dolly Parton singing nine to five on stage with uh, Mickey, with Minnie, Daisy, Snow White. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, just taking it all the way forward, and it was just really amazing the way they did it. So that was uh, Pop Disney, Six Degrees of Separation. And guys, it ended with the legends of Walt Disney Imagineering, John Stamos, we're all familiar with. Uh, <laughs> yep. <laughs> he was the host. Oh, that was one other one. They used him in Pop uh, in Pop Disney because they talked about the Grand Floridian and how oh. the beach built Kokomo. <laughs> the- so the hosts, uh, John Stamos was the host, and he was talking to Tony Baxter and Marty Scalar, asking them all about all of the other people that they considered the amazing Imagineers and asking them to talk about each one of them, you know, like uh, Blaine Gibson as a sculptor and all things like that. And the last one was Wayne Jackson, who actually received his 2017 Disney Legend Award this year. Cool. But it was just wonderful to hear the stories coming out of uh, Tony Baxter and Marty Scalar. And Tony Baxter shared his Nautilus collection with everybody, showed a picture of it. And just to hear these guys talking about these amazing, amazing legends, and then uh, you know, and to see Wayne Jackson was presented with an additional uh, special award. It was a beautiful, beautiful bronze castle of I want to say I believe it was Tokyo Disneyland, thanking him for all of his years of service because he was instrumental in working on Tokyo Disneyland and Tokyo Disney Sea. Wow. So that was the very last panel yesterday. And just like I said, all throughout D23, amazing things to, to look at. Uh, you know, they had brought Walt's, they brought the combine from Walt's barn that originally the combine was on the Disneyland Railroad. Tons and tons of booths and things to look at. It really was an amazing experience. And I hope and I pray that next time around uh, you guys can all be here to share it because it really is a wonderful experience. Wow. Now, that's great. That's, that's a lot of stuff. I mean, I had no idea that they had that many different panels. Now, those panels, do you, they were all back to back to back. Are they on the same stage or the same area? Like, what's the logistics of trying to get to those different ones? Okay. 
well, let's let's start a little bit with outside. The it takes up the entire Anaheim Convention Center, uh, which is off of Catella, across the street from DCA. Okay. The lineup goes from the front door of the uh, convention center all up and down this giant mall area where all the security is set up and then snakes all the way down past the entire convention center and then does zigzags back and forth. I mean, literally, uh, it went, if anybody's familiar with where West Street is on Saturday, the, the entire line went as far as West Street. I, I mean, you're talking... Are you kidding me? I am not kidding you. Dead serious. Friday, my, my, my wife and my daughter and myself waited for about an hour and a half to get in, and they only had a few security stations going. And then Saturday and Sunday, when I got in line, I was in front of the convention center on Catella, and it took, again, about an hour and 15, hour and a half to get in, get through security, and then get in the door into the uh, convention center. Wow. You walk into the convention center and there are escalators leading up to the second and third floors. If you walk straight in, it's this huge exhibition area and it's broken into like vendors in one area that are non-Disney related. And then they have an area that's called Friends of Disney where they're, you know, Disney must have licensing and various agreements with them. And then the area is specifically Disney. Also, within this giant area, you have, there are three stores. There's Mickey's of Glendale, the Disney Store, and the Disney Dream Store. The only one we made it into this time was the Disney Dream Store. Two years ago, I made it into all three stores, but I also spent like uh, an hour and a half to two hours in line for each one. Man. Yeah. It was about a half an hour wait, and I got my wife and daughter into the Disney Dream Store, and they had some some stuff for Epcot's 35th anniversary. They had I, I got one of their T-shirts for Epcot, and I absolutely love it. Again, I'll share pictures with you guys of the stuff that we that we got in there. They had a Pirates T-shirt my wife fell in love with, and she. It's not often she falls in love with something that's not like a Mickey or Minnie t-shirt, and she just fell for the shirt immediately. <laughs> yeah, it was. And their uh, D23 Expo shirt this year was really cool with Mickey, and it says Disney Fanatic on the back. Okay. Some buttons, all sorts of... That store, I think, was the right one to be in. And I think... Did I send you this, RJ? The, um, the pictures of the two new pieces by Shag of Pirates of the Caribbean. I you did and I those were floating around because I've seen a couple other people put them on Twitter. Yeah, those were uh, those were pretty cool. I probably would have dropped the money for those if I was there. I I just I bought uh, you know one one each of the postcards because as soon as you bounce up to you know the framed stuff, you're you're getting into the hundreds. So oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> and the the big big framed pieces or actually unframed rather uh, on canvas where they uh, you know they're just wrapped on canvas. Right. Wrapped those were thousands <laughs> but i think we picked the right store if we were going to pick one store to go in that was the right one and they do give you a pass holder discount oh nice so you know that was that worked out really well absolutely so all of these things are in that bottom area there's a great big stage area where they have live performances throughout the day they have trivia contests they have performances guys the costumes that people wear 
are absolutely stunning. Yeah, the cosplay is pretty ridiculous. It's like it's like a Comic Con level of of stuff. Yeah, I saw the one with the working Thunder Mountain Railroad on the dress. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I saw so some cool. pretty saw some pretty wacky stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Did you see um, from Moana to Kai and I can't remember. I don't remember the other one's name. But yes. The, oh, they. We saw them. You know, I in saw that. They were phenomenal. I liked the sleeping monk from Spaceship Earth. I thought that was great. <laughs> and the uh, princesses doing aerobics outside. That was yeah. awesome, too. And the Sanderson sisters. Now, I honestly couldn't tell you if they're the same ones that were there two years ago. But the ones I saw two years ago, they actually had their little act worked out. And, and they I, you'd swear you were watching the movie. Oh, wow. That's that awesome. awesome. <laughs> There was an awesome hatbox ghost and his bride that were outside. I got a picture of them. And what was so funny is uh, a friend uh, who's who does a, a bunch of uh, media marketing was there. She sent a, a text to my wife saying, "Tell Rick to keep an eye out for the hatbox ghost. He's a re it's a really great costume." So my wife texts it to me, and I said, "Oh darn it! I didn't I didn't get a chance to see him." Maybe tomorrow, and I walked out the front doors of the expo, and they're standing right there. Oh, there you go. Nice. <laughs> awesome. So there's so much to see. Like I said, Van Eaton Galleries. There's a bunch of Disney partners. There's a whole area that's like Disney housewares and stuff. Like they had a whole table set up, a barbecue kind of outdoor eating type thing set up where everything was Star Wars. Oh, wow. Uh, Mickey and Minnie. They had this great setup that my kid would have loved, but we didn't know it was there. At least I didn't when they were there Friday. It's you got to jump into Uncle Scrooge's money vault. Oh, nice. So they had this setup where you would go climb upstairs and you're standing like in the door of the vault. Yeah. And they one, two, three, go. And you would jump. And it's basically it's a ball pit. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would jump, and they would grab your picture as you were in the air. Oh, that's fantastic. And I'm like, oh, I wish, you know, if I had known. You walk around there, and you, you see some really amazing stuff. You know, they, tons of Zoom Zoom stuff, things like that. What The hardest part, guys, is the balance, which for me, you know, I didn't make it into the big parts presentation. I didn't make it into the big movies presentation. But everything that I saw was absolutely incredible to me. The way they time this stuff, because they use these rooms over and over again. So there's like sometimes a half an hour in between. And so you can get a stage pass for things. But basically what you're doing is getting in line to get a ticket to get in the line upstairs. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You let in for like a fast pass. Right. So I'll be honest with you, I, I got one fast pass because my wife, daughter, and I wanted to be together and make sure we saw this one panel together, the Hyperion one. But other than that, I just went standby on every other every other one because I was like, you know, there was only one that I didn't get into and I really wanted to see, which was uh, the voices of the Disney parks. Okay. That's the only one that they hit capacity and they said, sorry, nobody else can come in. But every other panel, uh, even if I was way back in the standby line, I still got in. Nice. Well, I think uh, I think a majority is because 
I'd say, I, I don't know. I, I've never been to one of these events, and I know they, they draw huge numbers, but I got to figure better than half, probably close to three-quarters of the people are trying to get into the big ones. At yeah. least those, those are the people that are camping out at four in the morning the day before, you know, laying on the ground, which I can't believe that they allow that to even happen, but that's another issue. Guys, we we hung out with uh, Todd Horan uh, from Jiminy Crickets, we got together with him on Thursday evening, and we went and had dinner. We walked around downtown Disney. Oh, that's another quick story. We we ate at La Brea Bakery. We finished dinner, and the four of us were getting up from the table and start to come around a corner, and I just stopped, and I saw back of a head that I recognized. I turned around and looked at Todd, and he mouths, Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman oh. is sitting really? there. Yeah. Nice. And Cool. I could feel, <laughs> I could feel my wife going. Don't ask to take a picture. Don't ask to take a picture because <laughs> they're sitting there eating. But all I did was I looked at him and I said, "Sir, I have to tell you, you are absolutely amazing. I love what you do. Thank you so much for all you've given to to all of us." Or something to that effect. Right, right. Mild, and he said, "You know, I, I don't even remember exactly if he said you're welcome or." something like that. And I said, I'll, uh, or he said to me, I'll see you at D23. I said, yes, sir, I'll be there. And his wife looked up and gave him a nice smile and said, thank you very much or something to that effect. But we didn't ask for photos or anything, but they were just so sweet. And it was just, you know, it was that special moment right there. But uh, Todd, the reason I was mentioning that is because Todd did get up and go over at 3 a.m. on Friday and Saturday. Wow. You know, he tweeted out about it quite a bit. I, I'm proud of him because I, I'll tell you, I, I sure couldn't do it. I needed to be in a bed. We stayed at Knott's, uh, you know, 10 minutes away. And yeah. I drove over in the mornings. But, um, you know, he did it. And he got into the big panels that he wanted to see. Well, if, you that's, know. All you're, you know, if that's all you're worried about, then I guess that's, you know. But still, that's that's a long day. That's, whew, that's crazy. I, I don't know that I would, uh, with... With social media and technology the way it is today, it's almost like you're there anyway. There were so many live streams and stuff mm -hmm. going on, and information comes out instantly now. So it's, you know, I guess it's always nice to hear it in person because you're hearing exactly what they're saying. But uh, there's just, you know, it was impossible not to know what was going on, I think. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, the other lucky thing for Todd is that. Uh, in the parks panel, I guess, I don't know exactly how it was done, but he ended up getting a, a wristband. To, he had to go and wait in another line, but he was one of the people that got chosen to get a wristband to go and see um, the opening nights of Fantasmic. Oh, wow. Oh, I heard that was because people got denied. Uh, I don't remember if it was the live action panel or, or animation, but one of the panels, they let in people that weren't waiting in line. So people that waited in line got stranded outside and they they gave those people premier seating to phantasmic is what i heard that was huge that we started hearing about that around like you'd, you'd be walking by people you go oh my god did you hear, hear what happened to the people downstairs because they said that disney uh, may have miscounted on the number of people or something but i never heard a full story on it todd was very lucky and he was able to go and see uh phantasmic but you had to have you know, if you had uh, annual passports or you had a ticket to be in Disneyland, then you could go. But if you didn't have a ticket to get in, if you couldn't be in Disneyland anyway, you couldn't have gone to the pant to the Fantasmic opening. Oh, I got you. 
you know, guys, it was just a really great, great, great experience. I told my wife afterwards, I said, I'm all ready for uh, 2019. She's like, I, yeah, I think you need to wait a little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. So I, I really hope that you guys can come next year. And, and there was uh, what was fun, too, was there was a number. Oh, there was one point where we were coming out of the Pirates panel and I was talking with with Todd and then uh, my friend Frank from the uh, Who Knew podcast. He and I went to high school together. So we were standing around talking and here comes Dave from Nostalgia walking up. So it was just like, wow, look at all these podcasting people. And we were standing next to the Diz booth. So it was just like this. Wow, really? <laughs> all of this uh, in one spot. But it was really neat because you got to talk to some of the nicest people and share stories and and share ideas and, and talk about, well, what's your favorite park? What's your favorite ride, your movie, your character? The people that are there, I think, are there because I believe, honestly, for the, for the most part, people are there because they love Disney and they love how it makes them feel. And that's why they want to be a part of it. I salute Disney for for doing this. Yeah, it needs some work in certain areas, but overall, guys, it really is an amazing experience. Awesome. I'm glad you had a good time, and and I'm actually kind of... I wasn't sure, like before, I knew you had went, I didn't know which panels you went and saw and, and didn't see, so I'm actually... I'm not glad that you didn't get into the parks and the animation ones. It seems like that wasn't your goal anyway, but I'm glad that you came on and we talked about the other aspects of it, because... All you ever hear about is the is the park stuff and the movie stuff because that's what, like I said before, 85% of the people, that's all they really care about. They want to know what they're going to see new and, and what movies are going to come out. And like I said also, that, that information comes out as soon as it's coming out of these people's mouths on the panel. Somebody's tweeting it, periscoping it, live streaming it, or whatever they can get away with. So, you know, I, I feel like that information is has been flooded the past three days. So I'm glad to to have a different approach to it and and see the other things, the more historical things and the more, for lack of a better word, geeky things, which I know all of us on this podcast is besides going to the theme parks and watching the movies is is like the true core of our obsession, if you would, mm -hmm. is, is some of the history and, and the how, at least for me, how it was done and how they did it and things of that nature. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's awesome, man. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Uh, taking good notes and, and remembering all that you did because uh well well i'm happy to do it and if you guys have any other questions or anything because i'll uh we need to just figure out how from how i should get you these pictures and stuff because then uh, you may have some other questions when you see some of the pictures but i i was just happy to be able to be a part of it and, and i really appreciate you guys uh inviting me to come and talk about it i my big thing is i and i said this the last time and i say it again this time you just got to really, you got to take a look at these sleeper panels because people may think, eh, you know, that's not going to be interesting. And they end up, in my opinion, being the best panels. Well, oh, absolutely, because they get more in depth. I mean, Will, as a podcast, probably discussed the, all the news that came out of for the parks things and the movie things uh, next week or the week after. But mm -hmm. that stuff is, is cut and dry. It's they're building this we're going to add this here this is coming here and details to follow and they don't have to elaborate on a damn thing because number one they don't have the details number two they don't care 
<laughs> enough to, you know, they don't want to tell you everything that's going on because then, you know, what would they talk about in another two years? So the, <laughs> the ones that you went and saw, I feel, are more in-depth and more informative and probably, like you just said, a hell of a lot more interesting. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, yeah. You know, the other stuff, they're just throwing facts at you, more or less, or this is what's happening and that's it. You Anybody can, you know, read a list of movies off and say this is what's coming out for the next 10 years and this is the order it's coming out. I mean, it's cool, it's exciting to hear, but after that, it's done. Right, exactly. And and so it's. I, I think that they put a lot of effort into doing these panels and really focusing on the, the demographic is the Disney nerd, the people that want to hear about the you know Walt's nine old men about Imagineering about how did they create this and and why and what was going through Walt's head you know why did he take Blaine Gibson from being an animator and stick him in uh, to be a, a, a sculptor you know uh, and it just all this amazing stuff that you know I really geek out on and many you know and so many of us geek out on I, I think they really uh, do it well by having these panels so. I hope they continue to do it because I will always go for those types of panels. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I, I, I hope myself to to make it out there uh, in any form or fashion. We would, you know, my wife and I have have discussed it. You know, going out. We've we've never been to Disneyland, so it, it would be a all encompassing type trip. You know, hit, hit Disneyland for a week or whatever it is, and then maybe go to the expo for a day or two and see how it is. Just kind of waiting for our children to get a little older just so it's it's not like we can go out there and get a babysitter i mean i'm sure you could but <laughs> uh you know just so they can appreciate some of it as well and so it's not just hey we're going to you know disneyland and let's go on rides and see shows all day it's i try to incorporate some of the history and, and the how-to as well as much as their young minds can handle at least so just so they have gained this, the same appreciation that, that I have over the years. I mean, I don't force it down on them. I certainly enjoy bestowing my, what I've learned over the years upon others. <laughs> you sound like me, RJ. I'm, I'm always <laughs> that with my daughter. and But thank goodness she's a, she's a big Disney fan. And we also love going to Knott's. Uh, we're, we're annual pass holders for Knott's as well. But we, <laughs> my daughter, she's like, Dad, because... We'll be walking by and you can see a speaker and, you know, uh, hanging from a, a lamppost or something. Or, well, at Disneyland, it would be hidden in a rock or you'd be hidden as part of a, a flower basket, you know, or you can see a light bulb through the fixture, the actual bulb. I say, well, it, you know, baby, at Disney, this would actually be, uh, you know, they would have frosted glass around it. So you're not looking at the bulb itself. You could just see right. the light. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, Lord, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I think we're teaching them right. <laughs> that's it. All right. Well, I think that's going to be a good spot to uh, wrap this episode up. Before we head out, Rick, you want to uh, give out any of your social media, how people can find you or follow you? Sure. I, I'm just Captain Nemo 86 on Twitter. That's right now. That's the only one I do. I just love sharing Disney fun history and stuff like that. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, so go give Rick a, f a follow. He's he's out there, and he is West Coast out in California with Jessica, so he is uh, very Disneyland-heavy in his tweets and things he put out, which is fine, which is great, because we need more of that 
at least on the East Coast, because I feel like Walt Disney World uh, kind of takes over a lot of things, and I know. Yeah, we, it does. <laughs> <laughs> I know we try. I know we try as much as we can on here to, to spread the wealth. Oh yeah, for sure. But on Twitter, Disney World definitely dominates. <laughs> yeah, it's it seems that way. It seems that way. I hope uh, I hope I get a chance for my family to meet Jess's family sometime down at Disneyland. Oh, that would be so fun. We have to figure that out. That would be terrific. And uh, yeah, happy to share, guys. Anything, uh, you know, anything that I come across, uh, I kind of throw it out there. And if you guys have any other questions about when I send you the pictures, by all means, just uh, let me know and I'll go back and look more in the notes. Absolutely. Okay, so we thank Rick for, for coming on. And as I said at the beginning of the episode, we will definitely have Rick back for our touring Disneyland Park in a day. I, w- I would say series, but we did one park to Magic Kingdom three months ago and haven't done any of <laughs> since. So <laughs> we, <laughs> we will get back to this as soon as news and new stuff stops coming out. Yeah, they need yeah to stop don't hold your breath. I know. Well, August should be a lull month. So maybe we'll get some we'll get some stuff then. Yeah, Probably last that, time I so. said that everything exploded. So <laughs> I know you're right. You're right. We hope you enjoyed all that. We uh, definitely thank Rick again for coming on. If you're going to be in the Indianapolis area on August 26th. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Uh, we're up. having our 10th anniversary indie Disney meet, and it's going to be a blast. We've doubled the space this year. Uh, it's held at the fairgrounds right here in Hamilton County in Noblesville, Indiana, which is uh, on the northeast side of Indy. And we got all kinds of stuff, all kinds of people coming this year. Uh, Yeehaw Bob, which I don't know how many of you are familiar with him, but he does performances at Port Orleans Resort at the River Roost Lounge. We've got Herbie the Love Bug coming. Of course, you know, our, our favorite people, the, the princesses from Frozen, the uh, 501st Legion, which is a fan group that does Empire and Rebel costuming from Star Wars will actually be here and there's some of that in the video that I posted. It's a carry-in. Everybody brings food and holy cow, we end up with a ton of it. Everything from savory to sweet. Uh, They usually have a machine set up uh, doing Dole Whips. Uh, We have drawings and things like that, but all the money that we raise goes to uh, Give Kids the World, which is the the little community in Florida where basically make a wish takes their kids for kids that are, you know, have come down with cancer and it's their make a wish to go to Disney world. So, so all the money we raise for that goes towards that charity. And we're also going to be doing a group podcast from there. There'll be several of us there. I know uh, Mike Relman from be our guest podcast is going to be there. He started coming last year. It'll be a really good time. So if you're in the area, and I'll, I'll be talking about it the next few podcasts up probably even until that weekend. So they have a kid's room with kids' activities, and they always have character meet and greets in there, face painting. They'll have a DJ. At some point, they show a couple movies for the kids, and uh, it's a good time. So come on out. You can find us over at thedizexplorers.com on the World Wide Web. Where on that website you can download this podcast. You can find links to all our other social media accounts. You can find the links to all of our troopers and all our social media accounts. And as far as downloading this podcast, 
you can find us on Podbean, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and also on YouTube for audio only. Hey, RJ, can I give one more quick shout-out? Absolutely. Go for it. Thank you, sir. A fine gentleman who goes by Creepy Kingdom just put out uh, a fan-based Haunted Mansion, uh, Haunted Mansion documentary. I went over D23 weekend. I went to the opening of Foolish Mortals, and it is just a terrific fan movie uh, documentary about the Haunted Mansion. He's trying to get a lot of legs underneath it to take it around and have a lot of people see it. So if you hear it coming to your area or you have interest in it, look up Creepy Kingdom or Foolish Mortals on Twitter or all the other social media. He's all over the place. Excellent. Thanks, Rick. Yeah, some of those fan-made uh, documentaries are pretty good, pretty well done, because there's a lot of passion behind them. And, and the, if they get footage in the parks, it's usually pretty good stuff. And it's So, yeah, yeah, definitely. So it's good to spread the word on that stuff. I like seeing people do those independent projects, and I definitely try to back them up whenever I can and at least get the word out so other people can, uh, can check it out. Thanks, guys. Yeah, anytime. So thank you, everybody, and we'll talk to everybody next time.